Hello, hello. Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum and a member of the Drum Click Podcast Network. My name is Ben Hilsinger, and this week's guest is one of my good friends and host of the Drum History Podcast, Bart Vanderzee. Drum History was one of the first shows I reached out to when creating the Drum Click Podcast Network, and I'm a huge fan of the work that Bart does with Drum History, but I feel like people don't know the man behind the microphone as much as they should. He did do a special Drum History 100th episode where he was interviewed by his brother to tell a little bit about his backstory as a drummer and engineer, but I was stoked to get him on my show to dissect the influences that shaped his playing style, because besides being an incredible host, Bart is an incredible drummer. Be sure to check out his podcast for all the geeky, drum nerdery stuff pertaining to the history of the best instrument ever, and go check out all the other podcasts on the Drum Click. Cheers. What do you think is the most common misconception about doing a podcast that people just don't do podcasts assume? Uh, I mean, I would say sometimes maybe it's just like even the term podcast. It has kind of like a, like a, oh, or maybe it's just me being insecure, but sometimes I feel like it's like, a, it's like, oh, that's cute. Maybe it's because <laughs> so many people have them, but it's like they assume that you're just kind of doing it for fun and like 50 people are listening and like 10 of them are your family. Um, yeah. So I kind of have to say like, no, people actually listen. And, uh, and I think social media in my case has helped to like prove that like, yeah, people are liking this. But um, I would say that it's, you know, just like a joke kind of thing that, uh, you know, anyone can do it and they don't really know the quality or that you're not making money and it's just a hobby, um, which in many cases for a long time it is and that's doesn't mean you shouldn't do it yeah it's funny uh with the insecurity thing i actually have a poker night with a bunch of musicians and it took me a while for me to admit to them that i do a podcast you know there would even be people like oh i'm starting i'm trying to start a podcast and i just be over on the side of the table just i don't want to say anything because i don't want them yeah it's this weird misconception of uh yeah. yeah clout. But so many but then in the other end of that is we're putting ourselves out there and thousands of people anyone can hear us. People we used to go to like grade school with, your old like, you know, girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever can like be listening and you kind of just don't think about that sometimes. But we just put ourselves out there. Fortunately, I I feel like a lot of like people who aren't drummers don't really want to listen to a drum podcast, so Yeah. I agree. <laughs> it I works agree. Out. Well, you, so your intros are pretty short. Was your intro always that way? Or did you have like a, <laughs> I asked because I sit there talking about like authenticity and like, you know, you're putting yourself out there. I'll sit and record my intro like 20 or 30 times thinking that I sound too excited or too dull <laughs> or not like myself. Cause I start, I always start off with hello, hello. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you just you actually sound talking to you before we got on here you just sound like yourself in the podcast so i mean well i know what you mean i mean like i would say which i you know this but i'll say kind of publicly i am a big fan of your show and have been and we met before being on the drum click kind of network mm -hmm. together uh just being a fan of of you and your show but so i like what you do but i i have listened to it i mean like all of us listen to a ton of drum podcasts for a long time and i was just like uh, I kind of did homework on what I like and what maybe I think like there were some shows where maybe it was an interview with someone who I liked, but it was 30 minutes before it got to the actual interview. Yep. So I was like, 
All right. Well, um, and you know, you do kind of a pre-recorded intro, which I'm sure you did for this episode, where then it goes into the interview, which I really like. But for me, it's the intro music, welcome to the Drum History Podcast, and I'm right into it. Um, and I just try and fit it into an hour-long kind of uh, history lesson. Um, but that was definitely by design, just to be kind of quick and right into it. Um, but sometimes I think, though, I try to add in a little bit more information, and I'm like, um, it's a little weird, because I have the person on the line, and I've already started the interview, so I can't be like, well, real quick, let me talk about other drum, you know, other podcast stuff. If that makes sense, but no, um, totally clean house in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's by design to just be kind of quick and, and into it. And I remember, I think the first time we actually talked was back when this was the big fat snare drum podcast, when I had no idea what the hell I was doing. Um, I had this idea to kind of bring everyone together and at least, add, you know, add awareness to our show as well, but um, go over the intros of everyone's. Oh, yeah. And so I reached out to you, to Seamus. I think I reached out to Mike Dawson when the Modern Drummer one was still going. Yep. Matt Krause and Zach Albetta, and just kind of like figured out the intro. And I remember that I was laughing so hard because you were like, your 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 little drum fill intro. You're like, dude, that was just some stock thing. Because <laughs> yeah. I wanted to basically have you explain the story of it. And I was like, it made me. It was very endearing that you were just right off the bat like. Yeah. Sure, I'll tell you the story of it, but here it is, man. <laughs> well, people get disappointed, I think, because, I mean, honestly, it was so weird because it was like uh, I was doing interviews and I had three in the in the like the bank, which I think if you're going to start a podcast, you should have three or four ready to go. So you have kind of like a month, you know, you've figured it out a little bit. And I got from I went from April to October and I was like and I'm. I was, I am, I do, but then it was before, way before COVID. So I was working in a studio as an engineer and I'm sitting there and I could go in the other room and record, but sometimes having everything at your disposal sometimes is like, uh, I don't know, it has this reverse effect where it's like too easy. And I was like, never took the time to go in and record and think about this little drum beat. And then I was looking on a, a we, it's not exactly stock music. We use like licensed music libraries to like put in videos or music beds for voiceovers and um i just kind of clicked it and i found it and it was perfect it is and awesome. now a hundred i think it was and thank you and, and like it's 112 episodes in now i can't change it <laughs> yeah so yeah well i'm not sure if i've ever talked about it on this podcast but the intro to mine is actually chris mazarisi the owner and founder of big fat snare drum it's his band winnetka bowling league oh. uh it's the song kangaroo so that is the intro of the song but then i loop it yeah um f through another part of the song when i'm talking but the song just starts off right after that cack boom yeah um, so go check out kangaroo by winnetka bowling league and that's the intro to big fat five but yeah i wanted to say that the first time i heard about your podcast speaking of the modern drummer podcast with mike and mike was when mike johnston gave you a shout out yes um how how long were you doing the podcast before that and how how was that a big leap in listenership after that uh, you know, to be honest, I don't know the exact number. It was within the first, I mean, I want to say 50 episodes, 40 episodes, maybe 20 episodes. It was pretty early on, um, which some, some cool stuff really did happen pretty early on. I think people took to it pretty quickly, which is awesome. Um, but, um, the, to answer the second part of your question, the listenership basically quadrupled overnight. I mean, 
Mike Johnston and Mike Dawson are both awesome guys. And I, at that point, was like an everyday, well, I guess every week, but I was going backwards and listening uh, daily, multiple times a day listener of the Modern Drummer podcast. Me too. Uh, like all of us. Like, we all loved it. And um, so I've heard every single episode. But when he texted me or messaged me earlier that week and said, I'm going to feature you, and it was just like awesome. And he then talked about me a couple times, you know, beyond then. And then since then... I asked him, would you want to come on the podcast and do the history of uh, online drum lessons? Which then he came on as a guest, another jump up in listenership. Um, and he came on again later and did the history of drum lessons in general, another bump up in listenerships. Because I think it's well-deserved. And, and he and I have honestly had multiple phone calls of like, I guess it would be like me going to him for some like mentor advice. And uh, he's been awesome and helped me out along the way with some, uh, you know, moves things to do and not to do. Um, but uh, yeah, it was pretty early on, really. So for people that are listening and maybe skipped the intro that I kind of do sometimes on podcasts, can you do a quick recap of what your podcast is? I know that the title kind of says it all, but uh, a quick recap, what it is, how you got started and where you're at now with it. Yeah, so um, it's called uh, Drum History or the Drum History Podcast. Um, each episode is about I, I basically the only kind of quote unquote rule that I have is that like I like to have like a topic it doesn't always need to be exactly historical it usually is but like uh, it covers things like company histories like uh, very soon coming out uh, probably right around when this comes out is the history of Fibes drums uh, but there's like Ludwig, Gretsch, Noble and Cooley, Tama, Pearl every brand that you can imagine there's still some that I have to do but um, beyond that, there's like uh, kind of different ones about like the science of acoustics and how it works with drums. Um, I mean, really, there's a broad, broad spectrum. The history of uh, Black Beauty, snare drums, um, tons and tons of stuff. I try and treat them like a little like uh, I would say like a little Ken Burns documentary or something, which is probably not near that quality. But um, where there's a we start with begin at the you know, start of the history and then end with where we are today. Keeps it easy. Um, I try to interview guests who are like authors, people who are like not exactly on other shows a lot. Like um, I love interviews with like Benny Greb and stuff like that who are mega drummers, but a lot of the people I interview uh, are women and men who are uh, like authors and collectors, and maybe you don't hear from them as much. Um and it started in uh, October of 2018, and it was bi-weekly, went for a while, COVID hit, switched to weekly because what else am I doing? Why not? Which was a great thing. That really was awesome to switch to weekly. Um, and since, what would that be, 2020, early on 2020, um, I've been weekly, and it's been awesome, man. I've had a, a, about 110, 112 episodes at this point while we're talking. Um, and then, obviously, I use social media a lot. A lot of people know me from that. Um, and that's pretty much it. Now we're, And now I'm here. It's a good place to be. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think the older I get, and I mean this in, in the best possible way, I love listening to geeks and nerds about whatever subject they're talking about and yeah. again i i mean that in a very positive way oh i get it um that your show especially way more so than even i i bring on guests and i i, I like the fact that i get 
they bring on their choices. So they're already inherently going to be geeky about those. But yours is just people that are obsessed with that topic. And it's so yeah. fun to listen to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, I feel sometimes uh, I need to avoid having the feeling of like, I don't want to say like the imposter syndrome or like, like I don't belong because like a lot of these episodes, I'm not going in as an expert on uh, Rogers drums or something talking to like Poe Shy and Jeff Burke, who were both Rogers like experts who I had on. It's like, no, no, no. I'm learning with the listener. Like if you're listening and a lot of times I don't do a lot of prep work because a it's kind of crazy to do that week after week after week constantly. And what's the point? Because they're going to teach it to me. But um, yes, to learn about it firsthand and kind of ask questions that people might be thinking is important. But yeah, man, some of some of the people I've had on just know so much about a particular thing. It's nuts. It's insane. I hope to someday be at that level. But I f it's easy to forget a lot when you do these every, you know, multiple times a week. Yeah, we're actually going to talk about someone that I hope to get on very soon in one of your choices. Uh, but let's just let's just jump in, man. So sure. again, um, I'm so happy to have you on. And you know, speaking of imposter syndrome, I, I'm sure. You know, I think you talked about it on your episode. You're like, I haven't been this drummer that's like toured the world and stuff, but I still think that um, I really want to hear your perspective because I have seen you play, man, and you you have you're very skillful, man. Um, Thanks, so man. I am very stoked to hear your choices and oh, I actually already heard your choices and so I'm stoked for you to talk about them because uh, they were really totally. fun ones and cool. so this is the Big Fat Six today because you were awesome and filled out all my prompts I think <laughs> okay, it's I actually it supposed to <laughs> <laughs> no no well it's funny I, I think it's rarely is it ever the Big Fat Five it's it's always yeah. like four four prompts for this and then whatever but alright so let's just go into uh, the first one and it was a specific groove that completely changed the way you think about drums and yep. if you have the list in front of you, you can just introduce it yourself. If not, I can give a little rundown. Yeah, and I can I know that one. I'll pull it up though so I have it. But yeah, so it was um that one was uh obviously it was Bill Ward playing with Black Sabbath, which was uh the I always considered it the beginning of NIB, the song, but it was off the self-titled album. Um and basically that self-titled Sabbath album had a um kind of thing where like I know they recorded the whole album in one day, but it would basically be like f three or four kind of songs in one where the titles uh, would all be kind of jammed together. Um, but it was like a drum beat that would be uh, basically kind of like transition. It was in the previous song, Behind the Walls of Sleep, but then they used it to lead into the song NIB. And there's just something about this drum beat that I heard as a kid where it was like, the tone, I mean, I love Black Sabbath, and it's just, like, uh, perfect. And then I like how it fades out, and it goes into, like, a bass solo that starts the next song. Um, but it's kind of chopped up on Spotify and stuff now, so depending on how you find it. but um, They recorded that all in one day? Yeah, and I was looking up uh, some of the history of it before. Like, they, uh, just to, to obviously be a little, trying to be somewhat prepared here, they, um, <laughs> yeah, it, I believe they recorded it. I think in one day, um, and then it says that they uh, session lasted 12 hours, and uh, they did it in one day, and there was minimal overdubs. Um, I think they did a couple double-tracked guitars, um, and I think the second they mixed it in, like, the next day, and that's, like, uh, uh, arguably one of the best, you know, one of the most fundamental metal, you know, hard rock, heavy metal albums of all time. Absolutely. 
Yeah, there's a cool thing. There's a cool thing going on with his vocals too. It's like almost delayed. I'm not sure if it's two takes or not, but I was listening on my run this morning and I didn't notice it when I was just listening in my house stereo, but uh yeah. pretty pretty forward thinking as well. Yeah. I mean, I think Ozzy in general obviously is more about drumming, but I think Ozzy in general is one of the best rock singers of all time. I mean, hands down. Sabbath and I think maybe his persona as like, you know, from like MTV and stuff to like people being kind of like, oh, Ozzy, but like, no, he's unbelievable. I mean, he is just like, it's the best era of Sabbath. I mean, Dio is great, but like, um, in NIB a partic in particular, this song is just like one of my favorites. Um, but, um, but yeah, that beat would, that has to be that. And, um, there's some other ones. I mean, it's so hard to choose just one. Obviously Bonham has many, but, um, that one stuck out to me as a special one. And it's funny, too, to bring up Bonham, Bill Ward, while he's still as rockin' and in-your-face, you can tell he does not hit nearly as hard as Bonham. Yeah. Um, but maybe that was uh, kind of the sign of the times of, you know, they were figuring out what microphones could could, you know, accept back then. But yeah. he's still he's still pretty, like, restrained in a in a rock and roll way. Um, maybe I'm not portraying this the right way, but... It doesn't sound like he's just rim-shotting every time, but it still sounds raucous. Yeah, and I think uh, something that comes up on my show a lot that people, you know, I don't want to say take for granted, but, like, the like uh, our heroes would be, like, John Bonham and Bill Ward and stuff, but these guys' heroes would be, like, Gene Krupa and these, these jazz um, guys as well, these jazz legends, which really, if they're in England too, then there's uh, there's a lot of English drummers who they may look up to, but they're like big band drummers, mm -hmm. and they're like uh, jazz guys. So the the heroes of the metal, early metal drummers were really, I mean, there's they're jazz drummers. So maybe that, I think Bill Ward has a little bit more of that like jazzy um, uh, tendencies than Bonham does too, but Bonham is obviously like the thunder of drums um which he's on his own level yeah but um but yeah i also want to say in my research i found that they released this on friday the 13th 1970 oh. which is very cool. attention to detail yeah and evil. i do i do want to start <laughs> off with the intro of the song just to, just to tell you that i, I actually hadn't heard the intro of the song um and then we'll go to that transition you were talking about but it was weird i i didn't know the song was kind of this um do well i'll i'll just play it i actually heard it in a different meter um okay. than the song goes and so i'm just curious if you guys listening hear it kind of the more delayed backbeat or if you hear it as it's supposed to <laughs> all right here it is so i'll play it one more time and i'll tell you what i heard So do gat do gat do gat do gat. I heard the do gat those first two notes. I thought it was do gat do gat do gat do gat. And so <laughs> when, he, awesome. when he does that do gat buga, if you hear it from the other perspective, it sounds like it's this weird time signature. I'm like, yeah, I didn't know Black Sabbath was so progressive. You know? Yeah, but in that you know in the correct kind of uh, feel, you can hear some jazzy influence there, which totally. he's kind of swinging on it, which I think is definitely very Sabbath. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so this is that transition that that Bart was talking about from wasp. Oh, sorry, behind the behind the wall of sleep to transitions to this little bass part and then to NIB.
Yeah. Yeah, the cool thing about that is you can really tell how how cognizant he is of those the boot boot cat because he mm-hmm. kind of swings a little bit and dances around but when he gets back to that downbeat he almost delays those two eighth notes to that backbeat yep. that he's really trying to say okay i'm having a little fun with some syncopation but come on guys we got to really hold back here it's rock and roll yeah yeah and and you do hear that riff that beat kind of sequence whatever however, however you want to put it earlier in the song um and again this album has this kind of thing where there's like chunks of songs where it's multiple songs kind of in one and again i'm not i don't know if they like it was like cheaper or to put someone i guarantee someone knows the answer to this but like to put these songs in like those like chunks where it's like four kind of like song names with a comma on one track um but he does it earlier and i think it's cool to bring the theme back later and then it's like into this awesome kind of flanged out bass solo to start a song like you don't really hear that (laughs) too much now exactly yeah um was was bill ward one of your first heroes i know you put it as number one maybe it was just because that's the the kind of the order of prompts that i gave you yeah i would say i mean honestly to be to be perfectly honest i would say bill ward as a drummer i love him but it's like more like i love that beat but I would say Bonham would be probably more of like an early, like, this is just like a hero kind of like legend, uh, which I think Bonham is in that like, uh, just like his face is up in the clouds kind of as like a hero for everyone. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's because he died so young and there's this like uh, sort of like thing about him, but um I had, uh, I think it's good times, bad times that, you know, where that I had like some Zeppelin, like greatest hits as a kid on a CD, you know, like a big giant Iowa CD player. It was like six disc changer and playing that a bunch. Uh, I would say Bonham and Ringo were probably the first, like, uh, which for most people, that's the case, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, really just like heroes hey y'all i wanted to (laughs) i can't say i wanted to talk to you about a drum i've recently received from preston at vessel drum co it's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum and it's incredible it's got a 1.5 millimeter shell brass shell with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three-position strainer, 42-strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time, and then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember... Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. And it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at BigFatSnareDrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour, and I didn't 
keep it. And I regretted it ever since then, just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time. And I just kept thinking about it. And so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums. So the Ocean Patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, check it out, reach out to me, go to Vessel Drum Co. The Instagram's just at Vessel Drum Co. And check it out, it's amazing. It's beautiful, sounds great, bye. Well, let's just actually skip a few and transition into that. So you said your favorite drummer and how their, how their overall body of work has affected you. Um, so in your prompts, you did mention Ringo and, and Bonham. Um, so we can just move on into that. I will, I will echo that. I, most of my heroes were from the 60s and 70s because my dad yeah. is, uh, he's retired now, but a, a construction worker. And so I, was, I would always go to, or he would remodel kitchens and stuff. Mm-hmm. He owned his own business. And so I would always be on his construction jobs and we'd listen to oldies 101.1 in spokane washington and so yeah ringo was like as a kid you're like oh this drummer's this is a current band he's playing drums right now and i didn't realize it was obviously you know 40 years prior but yeah ringo would definitely be the number one for me um yeah and but it's almost like i don't want to say it feels in no way do i want to say it feels weird to say ringo but Ringo, as you've discussed on your episode about the Beatles and about Ringo, with I can't remember the guest's uh, name for that, but um, Fra- Frankie Siragusa. Yep, um, he's not a solo drummer. It's like it's like uh, it's his technique and his style is so impressive. Um, but sometimes you you feel the need to say Bonham or Buddy Rich because they just rip. But um, but I think to answer your the actual prompt you gave me, I did end up saying Stuart Copeland because I personally have always loved Stuart Copeland as well. And like I do think a little bit of like everyone says Bonham and Ringo, where it's almost like uh, it's a given. So it's nice to give a different answer to some degree because um, it's, it's sort of like, yeah, everyone likes John Bonham. I mean, he's a monster. Everyone likes the Beatles and Ringo. Actually, not everyone likes the Beatles, but... Um, I love them, and it, but but that being said, Stuart Copeland, I think, is definitely he was a huge influence as well. Obviously, yeah. I wish we could just <laughs> stop having to say it's obviously Ringo Robonum, but number just like they're just like the preface of the book it's like the yeah, special exactly. thanks you know yeah. and then we can okay here's my real you yeah. know because when you ask someone that it's like you don't get to know them when they say Ringo or Bonham. It's like, okay, yeah. we know that, but I want to know your personal thing. Um, yeah. But I know what you mean. I get insecure when naming even Stuart Copeland or even Buddy Rich. It's like, yeah. I want you to think I'm the cool guy that knows about this, you know, Nate Wood. Like, oh, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's like at the end of the day, the older I get, uh, I know that the way to pay my bills is to play songs with people. That being said, so yeah, um, how old were you when, when, when Stuart came into your life? Uh, I would probably say like fifth, sixth, seventh grade, kind of that time where you start to like maybe get like, you know, start to buy your own CDs and stuff or, um, you know, um, I think we're about the same age. So it was like CDs and then you'd go out. It was kind of before iPods even, um, maybe an iPod mini or something. But um, yeah, like I would think I got um, Synchronicity, the album, or uh, Zenyatta Mandata. I think that's the name of it. But um, I think so too. I'm not going to correct you. That sounds right. Yeah. And like just the, I always kind of liked like reggae and like the islandy type feel of music, I guess you could say. But just something about him is clearly like, I just like those like those, those like 
just like a crack of like a snare and a crash just kind of like just pops out and uh and i grew up my parents always liked sting and the police a lot um which you know sting is great but i'm not really as a 31 year old guy kind of like driving around listening to fields of gold or something um but the police on your way to the club just really on the way to the club yeah um (laughs) desert rose on the way to the club but um no, it's 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 awesome. There's just something about him and just his his feel and um and I just like the history of him and all that stuff and his big the Tama kit and it's just everything about it. We're very visual people as drummers, so I like um his big setup and and his drums that kind of ta- like tuned pretty high and um yeah, it's just awesome. What is I've I know a lot of people have said that he does people you know, use him as an example of like reggae and rock, but what, isn't it more like African Middle Eastern music that he like claims that's, that's what those rhythms are more from? Yeah, I think, uh, God, I'm going to, I might get it wrong. I think he was born in Lebanon. Mm. Um, so he's, I guess it'd be Lebanese. And then I believe, I forget what his dad did. His dad worked, I guess with like, God, it might've been like the CIA or something like that. I hope I'm not wrong. Cause you know, I'm supposed to be the history guy here, but um <laughs> It, uh, I'll confirm so he, it, and then if you're wrong, I'll edit it out, so yeah, no one good, will know. Good. And then replace me with your voice saying yeah, the yeah. right answer. So he he had all those kind of, uh, I guess there's like m- those uh, different rhythms, and the meter was always kind of a little bit different. Because if you, when you work with people from other, like, uh, I worked, I recorded a singer for work for, with a guy from Morocco, and the rhythms, I was like, I can't find the one ever. Like, and I'm a drummer, I'm a lifelong drummer, and this guy's singing this, and it's like, it just didn't make sense to me. But, um, so, um, I think that vibe worked with Stuart Copeland. Um, and he has a new documentary that's on uh, YouTube that's on, on drums, colon, Stuart Copeland. Um, which I posted something about it last night on social media, but he, I saw uh, that the bass drum thing, it's awesome. Yeah, I highly so recommend cool. it. So, search for it on YouTube and, and people will find it. But, yeah, he's he's a good guy. How cool to be, I mean, this actually might be a great opportunity to reach out to him to like kind of co, you know, promote yeah. his video to talk about the history of Lebanese drums or something. Because I'm sure he's like, he would love to be able to talk about that so that people can start referencing that, you know. For sure. For sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's a white whale for me when it comes to this podcast. Um, yeah. I also just love his sass. You know, he seems like he's such a bust your balls kind of guy, and it, it definitely translates to his drums as well. There's there's very few people that I think their personality is so apparent on the way they play drums as Stuart Copeland. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, from watching some of the, um, uh, like the, I, I used to have a DVD of theirs. I think it was Everyone Stares. Um, it was like a police DVD. I, I, and I mean, I think it's pretty documented historically. I think there was some personality clashes between like him and Sting and uh, Andy Summers, where it's like, I think he's got a pretty big personality, um, and kind of just calls him like he sees him. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was trying to make a joke. I can't figure out how to do it, but just know that the wheels were turning. We said everyone stares. I want to be like, I want to have the book. Everyone poops. Um, I don't think that was Sting. Maybe that was Vinny Caliuta. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I'm, I'm in. Uh, I've got a bunch of potty books going on in my house right now with a two-year-old. So I'll, <laughs> I'll look at who wrote it. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, so before moving on, I did. Uh, you said to play the song "Regatta de Blanc" from the album "Regatta de Blanc" by the yep. Police. Yep. Uh, that is, of course, Stewart on drums, and it came out in '79. 
just that beat, you're like, oh, that's a lot of personality right there. Yeah, yeah. That's the kind of beat that it's not a robot. And so you almost look forward to like, oh, on the third time, he doesn't hit the bell exactly where the first two, and you, like, you look forward to that shit. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. I looked it up too while we were just listening to that. So he moved to uh, Cairo a few months after he was born. And then the family, when he was five, moved to Beirut in Lebanon. And uh, then later on in his life, he moved to uh, England, um, I think with, when he was like early teens, I believe. So um, there you have it. That's so cool, man. I mean, that's literally bringing where you're from to a whole different genre, and, and, and naturally so. Yeah. All right, sure. so let's scoot on back to the first one, which is, or the, sorry, the second one. Your favorite fill, choice, or moment from a certain record? And this is a band, I, I've heard them a million times, but man, is this drummer cool. Oh, my God. And I wanted to, in some way, I kind of went back and forth between including him uh on a record that hit you at the right time, which is another prompt for later, and and, and this favorite choice moment. So I just wanted to include him in some way, but um, yeah, is it just basically the beginning of the song? It's every. It's pretty much. Uh, so I don't even know if he said it, but it's the RX Bandits and it's Chris Sagakis. It's pretty much the beginning of the song, and then there's just so many moments on this whole album and multiple of the albums. But this one came to me as just being like, um, it just. I don't know. It was like in high school and someone showed it to me and it was just kind of that like right time where you're like, oh my God, like I can't just fathom what's going on here. And it's a younger guy. It's not John Bonham or Ringo. So you can kind of be like, this is just like, you know, an awesome drummer who's modern. Yeah. Um, but it's the intro and then it's just into the beat a little bit, but uh, it's just awesome. Yeah, you hear this and you're like, I need to go work on my 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 little slide technique on my bass drum because I'm assuming, yeah. at least from this song, it sounds like he is just a single pedal guy. Yes, he's single pedal, one up, one down on the toms, um, and uh, I believe he might have a timbali or something, but uh, pretty minimal. I think he plays. He used to play DW. He plays dark horse percussion, or he did for a while, which is when I was like early in college, I actually bought a Dark Horse kit because he used it, which um, they're great drums, but uh, it's just uh, something about him. He's he's hands down one of the best. I've tried to play along to it a few times, and I'm like, man, he's fast. And it's just like, there's, there's other songs that are newer, too, where it was like, it's just hard to kind of comprehend what's going on. Yeah, if you can't get your workout in, uh, just play along to this song, even just like the first... 30 seconds of it and you'll get that heart rate up so this is uh, decrescendo by rx bandits Wash the look on my face 
There's like obviously, I think, some parallels to Stuart Copeland. Sure. With that kind of like just everything's tightened really tight. Um, and there's so many good songs that are just kind of like uh, I just think the syncopation and then it's just next level stuff that I just, you know, you want to listen to stuff that's really, really, I think, impressive and hard to kind of push you forward. Mm -hmm. Do you have any of a backstory with RX Bandits? Um, I don't really know much about them. Um, no, I mean, like I said, all right, so yeah, actually, the first time I heard them, I was in, I was pretty young, and my my brother, who plays bass, and uh, another guy who he was friends with, who was a very, very, uh, this guy Steve, who was my brother's friend, was very, very into pop punk, and, you know, pop punk's great, I've never really been a pop punk guy, maybe it was growing up, and they listened to it, and I was like, I don't really like this, um, but it was like a drive-through records, uh, like, EP, which there's a lot of great bands in there, and it was very much like, you know, this polished kind of clean pop punk bands. And then he put this, he put a, a song Mastering the List, which is a different song. And it was a video of these guys filming it in their garage in California. And it was like rock. I mean, it's like, it's different than other, you know, early 2000s pop punk where I heard it and I was like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Like that I like. Um, and then fast forward into high school, I was playing in a band with some guys, and we were all at high school together, and um, and it was some weird thing where we could all leave the school and just kind of drive around, and we would listen to that album and do what high schoolers do when they drive around in the middle of the day and, um, and uh, be up to no good and listening to it, and it was like, just like mind-blowing. Uh, so it just really, I guess, hits you at the right time, and... Um, you know, the band I was playing in then in high school was, you know, sort of trying to do a fake version of that kind of stuff without the horns. Everyone likes horns, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was just awesome and, and definitely hit me at the right right time. And he's also uh, in Sounds of Animals Fighting. Yeah, which um, I think my dogs are barking right now. Um, the Sounds of Animals Fighting, which has... Sounds uh, of Animals awesome Barking. Well. <laughs> yeah. Sounds of Animals Barking. Yeah, I can pause if you want. No, or, dude, uh, no, no, keep it in. That was a that was such a good joke on my part, so... That was good. It has to stay. So The Sounds of Animals Fighting has a ton of... It's like a quote-unquote, I'm doing quotes here, super group of um, guys from the RX Bandits, um, and then members of Circa Survive. Oh, okay. Um, so it was Anthony Green, I think, was the singer, um, which that... Uh, Circus Survive, I think, also falls into one of those, like, you know, it was kind of in that era of pop punk, but it's not really. I liked his voice a lot. I guess I was kind of picky in that era. But, um, yeah, the sounds of animals fighting are uh, awesome. There's a couple songs that um, just absolutely are, are I mean, amazing drum um kind of pieces of work but there's uh i'm trying to think what else what other members there there are um but it's worth ch just ch everyone else can can check it out um and get a get a feel for it yeah now he's an amazing drummer i've never heard his name before which is very sad because i feel a lot of what he was doing in that song you just showed are a lot of my instincts a lot of those patterns um so maybe i did know him and i just didn't know and it's like a song that i don't realize is rx bandits and i totally ripped off um, yeah, <laughs> which is totally very feasible. Yeah, I mean, I think they're one of those bands where like they're big, 
and they made a career out of it. But like they did end up kind of slowing down and stopping. I saw their like farewell tour in like, I mean, 2000, I don't even know, 12 or something in Chicago. And then I think they came back and I think they're now going to come back again. Um, but just for those who are fans of them, people love them. Um, and there's, there's a ton of really good albums. I would say this album, which is the resignation, I believe, uh, was a different type of band before that. It was almost kind of like, uh, more like uh, poppy, that pop punk kind of like more like whatever. And then it got into more like, I, I almost think they have some like prog influences and, uh, gets really, really cool beyond this into the newer ones are definitely more hard and uh and it's just really really cool all right so i'm excited to hear about this one so next prompt is uh a performance which we either played or witnessed that altered your musical course yeah so i put um i mean i've played a bunch of you know you played it like Lollapalooza recently so i can't i mean nothing really tops that but like um a bunch of shows locally and regionally and stuff and uh but I was kind of like, oh, wait, I have to put this. So in 2019, I got um, invited to come to the Rolling Stones tour in New Orleans and um, got to hang out backstage with um, Charlie Watts, which I've talked about it on, on my show. But it is definitely one of the things where I'm like, from doing the podcast for, at that point, not that long of a time. Because, again, I started in October of 2018 to then within a year later being like backstage hanging out with Charlie Watts and like Mick Jagger's walking by and then gets on a little golf cart and like strolls in the back of the Superdome. It was just like, um, hands down one of those moments where I'm like, okay, this is cool. It's, it's not playing related, but it's just drum and podcast related where it was like, this is okay. I'm going to keep going. It's working. Totally. So how'd you, yeah. What's, what's the backstory with it? So, uh, Don McCauley. So I did an episode about, uh, the history of, uh, a biography of Gene Krupa with Brooks Tegler, who is like the expert on everything Gene Krupa. I mean, his gear, his like serial numbers, like everything, like, uh, uh, debunking facts about like, um, like, oh, that's not Gene's. Like a lot of people claim things belong to a famous drummer when they actually didn't he's the guy who can say no that didn't belong to him um anyway we did an episode about um about gene and then fast forward like i think seven or eight episodes later which we, when you're doing them bi-weekly was actually a fair amount of time um then we uh he came to me and said hey i got a scoop for you and i was like okay i love that you just said you got a scoop for me um a shipping container full of drums that belonged to Gene Krupa had been locked up and kind of put somewhere since 1973 when he died. It was recently reopened and someone purchased all those drums and Brooks was the one who authenticated everything. Charlie Watts is the one who bought all of the uh, stuff. He's a crazy collector. Like, from what I understand, he owns like Napoleon's sword and stuff like that and just everything everything warehouse full of stuff so uh as a massive massive avid drum historian he bought all the stuff and you know uh don mccauley who is um charlie watts drum tech um we met at a chicago drum show we talked about it and then he said why don't you come to a show and um i was like yeah that's great and then i followed up and then Fast forward, my wife was 35 weeks pregnant, and there was a hurricane going on in New Orleans, but I was like, 
I'm not going to miss it. So we were about to like drive. I mean, the planes were getting canceled. I'm in Cincinnati, so that's a pretty far drive. Uh, the studio, Gwyn Sound, where I work, they paid for my hotel and stuff just because they were like, this is awesome and um, it's just a cool experience. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. So anyway, we go there. Um, we get like total VIP treatment. We um, go to like Preservation Hall, uh, jazz club with, with some of the Stones crew and hang out, um, go to dinner with the crew. And like Ronnie Wood is there at another table just um, by him, with his family. Um, see the show, go backstage, uh, beforehand, see, go backstage. There's like VIP room where there's like, um, uh, you know, free beer. And there's like, um, I was, I joked about it on my show, but like, there's like king size candy bars sitting around. So I was like, just like grabbing them and like, like Cause, yeah. that's a, why not? It's a sign of like a cool place. And it's like, here's a king size M&M or something. Okay. M&M. Okay. I was, I was going <laughs> to ask which one it was. Okay. Uh, I think they had like three musketeers and like, uh, I'm allergic to peanuts. So it's, I'm, I'm a little Yikes. limited in that, in that case. But, um, anyway, beyond the candy, then we went to, uh, the show and it was just awesome. They were unbelievable which hopefully we can see him again later this year but charlie is unfortunately not playing with them on the tour um this this new cat named steve jordan is i guess being tried out <laughs> i know he tried to get on the show and i was like let's just get a little bit of uh you know little years under your belt and yeah, then maybe i'll talk see how to it you. works out <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i've read some comments and people are like or there's like news articles where we're like steve jordan's getting his big chance and it's like i think he's had his big chance i think this is like he like produced and played with Keith Richards for years, so it's like just makes sense. But um, he also was like John Mayer's. I mean, I'm, exactly nowadays, like who would sell out more tickets? I don't know. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the that's the experience, and and I uh, just being there, kind of looking around and just like looking at the Superdome, being in like the front row, where like I didn't see her, but apparently like Kate Hudson was like in the other little part, and like with uh, Craig Robinson, you know, from like The Office and stuff, they were there, and I'm like what the hell am I doing here? Like <laughs> just doing a podcast and then you end up there. So um, you never know who's going to listen and uh, where it'll take you is kind of my takeaway. Yeah. I was, I didn't know if it was that or if it was Mike Edison that had the contact there or not. Uh, that was after the fact um, that was also through Don. Cause Mike Edison wrote sympathy for the drummer. Why Charlie Watts matters. But it was kind of like a, now there's this kind of circle of Don Macaulay friends who like, try to help each other out and um, and all that good stuff. But uh, no, it was before that. It was just, again, Brooks Tegler, who is the Gene Krupa absolute Slingerland expert, uh, was really the, to thank for all of it at the beginning. What was your takeaway of, of Charlie's drumming? You know, he was awesome. Um, he's, I mean, he's 80 years old now, so it's a little different, I'm sure, than when he was like 35 or whatever. But um, he's great. It sounded like... A rock band i mean that's what they are but really it didn't sound like some super produced uh backing tracks kind of thing which is also cool but it was like it was just a true rock band with uh the four core members and then some beyond that um you know backup singers and and uh um saxophone and stuff like that but really great does the thing where he doesn't hit the snare and the hi-hat at the same time uh which is kind of known for so when he hits his you know two and four or whatever he lifts his right hand off the hi-hat, which he just, he did that. Um, just a great drummer. I got to like look on stage and like touch his drum set and stuff. And I'm pretty sure he had Keith Moon's stick bag, 
which was awesome. Um, was it his Gretsch, like the the natural yeah. wood Gretsch kit? Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. With like a DW Rolling Stones kind of lips uh, snare, you know, um, got the big. Uh, I think it was a UFIP China, I believe, or I might be. I know he has a UFIP something or other, but um, yeah, it's Speed King pedal, which I think Don McCauley said he has like four ready to go that are constantly greased and oiled and stuff um, to avoid that famous Speed King squeak. Yeah. Um, but just a very nice guy. Got to hang out with him backstage and um, in his dressing room, which was like, you know, dark like like black backdrop and like he had a, like a nice table with like drum and, and a history of new orleans books on it which i'm assuming maybe in each city they give him books on the history of that city and um his granddaughter was walking around and uh we talked about uh, stanton moore was there i met stanton um i i just shot him a message and said would you want to be interviewed for the podcast and he was like yeah come to my house so hung out at his house and then he we drove to the galactic um kind of practice space and where he does all of his kind of lesson videos you you can see on his social media it's like got red curtains hanging in the background it's like where he does all this stuff so don was like why don't you invite stanton more and i was like you know that makes that's cool with me so i invited stanton and um then we're all hanging out there and abby my wife again is super pregnant and she's like sitting down and charlie's like you need to sit and uh they were like, you might have a baby here in the, we went, we might have a baby here tonight, Charlie. And he was like, why would you want to do that? <laughs> he's very like over it. You know, he's like, just, it's just the stones yeah, in yeah. his eye, in his mind. But uh, yeah, it was, it was an awesome experience. It was very cool. So you drove down to New Orleans and at that point you were going to interview Stanton separate from the show. You were just kind of taking advantage of it. And then you were able to invite Stanton with you. Yeah, we flew because the hurricane ended up kind of, it ended up not oh. even happening. There was no hurricane, but it was like planning of like, I was trying to rent cars. I'm like, there's no way I'm missing this. But I was going to be there. And then I thought to myself, let me hit up Stanton Moore because I'm in New Orleans. And who's more New Orleans than Stanton Moore? Um, yeah. So, and he just was like, yeah, totally. And then um, I did some other interviews at the Preservation Hall. We hung out backstage there and interviewed some New Orleans people. Thanks to Don. Don's like, come back. Um, and we did like uh, like the Mardi Gras Indians. We talked about that and all these different like cultural things, and um, it was like pretty unbelievable. I mean, it was just again, but uh, just having little recorders with me and just being ready. Because um, again, sometimes it's that feeling of like, what am I doing here? But you got to just, you know, you just got to do it <laughs> if you're there. Just make the most of it. I mean, maybe maybe when you get to Charlie Watts level, that'll go away, but I don't think that ever goes away. I always, I mean, <laughs> yeah. when I was walking on stage with cannons, it's like every time I'm like, why the hell? Anyone can do a boom tap, boom tap. Why am I chosen, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. well, let me... Well, you're, let great. me uh, you're, you're, you're doing a great job, and obviously you're killing it as like a working, you know, a, a guy who's out there just doing it day by day, you know? Thank you, man. Um yeah, it's fun, and I, I hope that all the things that we planned actually happen this year. So let's just uh, so <laughs> fingers crossed. Well, let me just uh, go to a live. This isn't the performance you saw because you were saying under my thumb stood out um, when you watched them, and there are there is a bunch of footage from that show, but not necessarily sure. of quality of, of quality audio. I want to play on the podcast, but let's just play under my thumb from a 2009 live performance.
Just basically to show that Charlie just knows how to hold it down. Yeah, and I mean, but like you can honestly hear that and be like, okay, like it sounds like a real band. You know what I mean? Like it's not like super perfect and polished. I mean, it's really, obviously it's the Rolling Stones, but like, and uh, I just remember there was like a moment there though of like, you know, and I like I knew I wasn't going to go back and so I didn't get to interview Charlie. It was very clear that it was like, don't even ask, just talk to him. Like, just talk. It's not going to happen. Um, but I knew it was kind of, over that experience so then i could just like you know have a couple drinks you know which were like jumbo beers at an arena and like it was just kind of hit me when that song was playing looking around and like it was just like whoa you know so when you went in there he knew that you were the guy that don brought because you did an interview and that you know he's obsessed with gene and all that stuff or i think i don't know if he knew anything about me i gave him a card he knew stanton because there was the uh jazz museum there and he had seen him on a video in the jazz museum the day before but um you know i brought stanton so i guess i get that kind of uh <laughs> I, was like, yeah, I brought him no i gave him like a card and told him about what i do and um and uh he liked it. We talked about like his, you know, Sonny Greer and these guys, like he had these, his collecting and it was just, uh, it was crazy. And then go out in the hall and then Ron Wood is there with, um, a couple other people and they were like, well, we like drums. What are you doing? Like what? And then I get, they asked for a card and I was like, what the, what is going on right now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I think he, he meets a lot of people at every show, like um, Jim Keltner and stuff, or like at like there's like pictures of them backstage. So I'm very small potatoes, but it was once in a lifetime for sure. That's awesome, man. And yeah, we hope we hope him uh, good healing. Yes, because he has to take some time off. Uh, I I don't think he actually said what was going on, but I, I think we can all assume because he said his timing was off for the first time in a while. So I'm assuming that was yeah. obvious what it is. But um, yeah, let's just move on to uh, sure. a record that hit you at the right time in your life and represents a big piece of your artistry. Yeah. So um, this is uh, I would say in no way. I mean, he's a great you know drummer who plays with them but like uh the the band is called band of bees um and there's kind of a thing that's like um they i don't know what happened really i could probably look it up but like they're the bees or in known in the united states as a band of bees so i guess there was some like maybe there's another band called the bees in america um mm -hmm. yeah but yeah, anyway, this album that I, I mentioned to you um, is called Octopus, and it is just awesome. Um, and I guess Tom Gardner, uh, there's a couple drummers, and I should look it up which particular drummer played on this album, but um, if you look on Wikipedia, it says Tom Gardner, and then also there's a drummer named Michael Clavett. Um, but they're kind of a band where there's not a lot, I you know, they're not, they're from like the Isle of Wight, I believe, but something about this album i was working in like a uh, like a burger place i was working in the kitchen and with a guy i played in the band with in high school later in high school we were he just brought it in and it's like there's something about the tone of it and the drums are kind of like not super clean sounds like it was recorded probably analog um and i just uh it's, it's just kind of crunchy and i just again it just hits you at the right time and um one of my favorite albums of all time did you know anything about recording at that point that you were like, these drums sound weird or did you, you kind of knew what was going on? I mean, I don't, I don't think I hadn't gone. So I went to school for recording, but I hadn't gone and done that yet. But like, 
as a kid, I was into, I always had like, you know, started with a little four track and then I went to like a Korg thing that was like actually pretty expensive where it burns a CD. So I was always recording, but I didn't know technically what the hell I was talking about or what was going on. But it's just like, um, now that I hear it though, I'm like, man, this sounds like they probably like tracked maybe drums and bass and guitar. Like there was some live tracking going on. Um, and, and just as a unit, the whole album, again, Octopus by the Bees or a Band of Bees, um, and all of their albums are really good. There's something about the guy's voice. It's just awesome. But I don't know a ton about them um, as a band. I just love the album. And, um, and it's just really, really cool. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, just saturated the hell out of the drums on this song. And it sounds... Yeah. I mean, who doesn't love this kind of drum sound? I think you guys will all uh, know what I'm talking about when I play it. Such a cool little polka two-step thing he's doing there. Yeah, yeah. Which also kind of has that, uh, I guess you could say, islandy kind of vibe. I guess I like that. That uh, and the horns and stuff. But it's just like there's something about it. It's just awesome. Um, and uh, I guess it's like also that the sound of his voice being kind of like the British sort of feel sounds good. But yeah, the drums though. There's that huge, just like it almost sounds like a ride that he's just crashing on or something at the be or a crash ride. But mm-hmm. um, it's just it's awesome and that snare is kind of deep super saturated like you said not perfect it's just it's it's beefy (laughs) no it's human it's it's it sounds yeah it sounds like someone it makes you feel good about when you hear yourself back on a on a playback you're like oh i don't have to play like a robot and if you just make it sound vibey it sounds really cool totally when other people get on stuff it's like uh yeah it's like oh yeah it's not just going to be naked drums it's like yeah there's gonna be other stuff on top of it to kind of help blend it together i'm excited to go down that rabbit hole i've i've never heard of uh <laughs> whatever the hell they're called yeah the bees the yeah. of bees um kind of a shame i do think maybe that led to like because they're i mean again it's it's awesome maybe that led to people not knowing a ton about them i mean there's obviously i guarantee there's people listening to this who like them but um but that whole because like sometimes you search on spotify the bees and like two albums show up and then, like, you search a band of bees and, like, another three albums show up. So it's, you know, that has to be, that's not great for um, search engine optimization kind of stuff. 
Yeah, Prince could do it, but you got you got to leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So the sound of a particular record that helped mold your tuning style, and you gave me two of them. Same band, though. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Same. Uh, and the reason I did that, so I said Brain Era Primus. Um, I said the album Anti-Pop and also the Brown album, which for people who like Primus, you guys know those are both very, very different, where the Brown album is very uh, dirty um, as a whole album. It's like a cohesive kind of dirty sound. And then uh, the Anti-Pop album is uh, very clean and tight. Um, I love Tim Alexander Primus, but I think it hit me again right at that right time of like seventh, eighth grade, where it was like... um, brain um brian manta i think is his actual last name uh mantia manta he he um just a great drummer brains lessons i had on vhs the tape and i would just play it and play it and play it like every day um and i've talked to like you know your friend our friend gunner olsen about it where he was like we talked about primus and um he's like oh i stopped listening after um when when herb when tim alexander kind of left and brain came in and i was like I love the early Brain or Tim Alexander Primus. It's just freaking awesome. Um, but yeah, there's something about Brain that's very modern and hip. And and he, I think he played like Pork Pie, which I always loved Pork Pie drum kits, not just snares, but like kits. And um, it's just great. It's just really, really. He's a he's a Brain is a great drummer. Yeah, I I didn't know the history of Primus at all. I'm not really. I'm not not a fan. I just. Maybe just to make Gunner feel bad, I go, oh, Primus, I don't know anything about him, you know, just yeah. to piss him off. But uh, so this is, first one is Electric Uncle Sam. Which from... is uh, Tom Morello on guitar. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was in, in researching this, I like Fred Durst produced some of them. Um, yeah. Tom Morello, of course. So, so yeah, let's just uh, play that song. So would you say that 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 sound of drums is kind of like when you when you picture or when you envision a bass drum, snare drum, all that stuff, that's what like your air drum drum sounds like? Yeah, you know, that's a good question or statement. Yeah, because I I would say yes, uh, because it's very modern. I think, well, I mean, that's pretty old at this point, but uh, 99. Yeah, 99. So that's like 20 two years old or something but um jesus yeah <laughs> which is nuts i mean I guess, I guess i was nine years old when that came out so um it yeah i just and again I, I equate it to the brains lessons uh dvd vhs tape and um i think he used like a um like a coated batter head and just had these like very punchy toms and um 
just like very bright symbols and just very quick like like grabs and like mutes and um but yes to answer your question i do think it has a very you know clean sound that that version of brain does the other stuff we'll play i guess from the brown album is not which is very different but um so when did when did brown come out was that after timmy came back and then left again or no brown album was in the same brain was there i think only for um uh, those two albums. If that was '99, uh, then Brown album was before it in '97, okay. and I think I'm pretty sure that Brain, Brain was just on those um, those two albums. I believe. Okay. Well, let's play uh, "Shake Hands with Beef," <laughs> which is a fun sentence to say. That's great. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Look at the bat. I really dig that. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. And that's, it's kind of cool to me too, that they, if you, you know, if people listen to that whole album or they're obviously familiar that a lot of it has that, uh, you can hear the difference of the super clean anti-pop. Like, um, I think he was using a D he might've been on anti-pop, not being, might've been pork, but I think it was a DW kind of like really like thin, like the fast toms or whatever. And then on, uh, I know in the video, at least for that song, which is a really cool video because Primus has some awesome videos. They, I think he had like a Vista light bass drum and just a snare and like just a smaller kind of old vintage kit. Um, so they kept that throughout the whole album. Um, but, and people listening, I know Primus is like an acquired taste. So you either love it or you hate it. <laughs> so. Well, speaking of bass drum, and we were talking about Copeland earlier, that bass drum, it definitely sounds like a Vista light because it sounds like that same wide open kick that that Stuart was playing in that kind of you know make a, a mock bass drum or bass pedal yeah. video the overhang pedal yeah that we in that yeah yeah it's um I mean he's just a brain himself is a really good drummer um who definitely just a big big influence and Tim Alexander though is awesome first concert I ever saw I think it was like 12 like real concert you know what I mean where I wanted to go and I picked it and it was in Columbus um was Primus with Tim Alexander in um 2002 um so that was you know because tim has been in and out a, a, a couple times but now he's back in so yeah i think uh, gunner talked about and i and gunner has also recently posted i'm sure if people are listening to this you probably follow gunner as well on instagram gun buns but he was uh, at woodstock 94 yeah. and uh, i believe he said that he saw primus there so that would have been in 94 that would have been when tim was still in the yeah. band the first time yeah for sure that was like uh I, I've we've ta- he and I have talked about that because I posted a video from that uh, show. That's prime 
Primus. <laughs> That's like early, like, you know, right when they're blowing up in that kind of uh, grunge, even though they're not really grunge, but you know what I mean? That kind of, that era. Um, so just dirty rock kind of getting dirty away rock. from a hair metal yeah exactly well bar i believe that's your that's your uh, technically seven right <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know yeah i know yeah i just come up for air after all these um yeah so again people are listening uh check out well what's what's the website how do they find your show um, i mean what's the search terms all that jazz yeah, so um, you can go to either uh, drumhistorypodcast.com or you can go to, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, uh, thedrumclick.com. The drum click, yeah. Okay, my keyboard broke, so I'm like missing like three letters like months ago, so I've like not been able to type things in correctly. Oh, is that when you spilled some liquid on it that one time? Yes. Yeah, oh, and no. I use an external keyboard, but I'm all eaten up on USB ports now. But yeah, so thedrumclick.com. Uh, find me on social media at drumhistory underscore podcast for daily um, cool, vintage, rare, unique drum videos that uh, have consumed my life for the last couple years of posting those every day. Uh, so pretty easy to find me. Yeah, even if some, even if this is like the first drum podcast you've ever listened to, and you're like, I don't want to listen to any drum podcast, still follow him on Instagram because he has really cool videos. Yeah, I don't know, you are you're a great curator of like, I think every single time I listen, I I, I look at a video of your on your Instagram, I always check like the see more when it runs out of 15 seconds because yeah, they're always really interesting and they they still tie into the guest that week, but they're also varied. Sure, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. I mean, that's. Uh... Uh, it's like, yeah, I feel like a, you know, I get a good listenership on the podcast, but more people know me probably from Instagram. And, and some people will say like, man, where do you find this stuff? Or how do you find all of it? It's like, well, I look, it takes like an hour every day of my life to find this stuff. So it's like, there's no big secret, but, uh, yeah, I appreciate everyone liking it. And there's always a lot of cool comments that are like really good conversations and it's kind of a community in itself. Yeah. You only talk politics in the comments. That's all we do. That's all we do. <laughs> yep, we talk about uh, everything that pisses everyone off yep, uh, yep. in the comments. All right, Bart. Well, thanks for being the show, yeah. man. And I will talk to you soon, dude. Thanks, Ben. All right, bye, dude. And that's the show. Be sure to subscribe. And if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, which means the show will get better and bigger. And hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'd be an OG listener that could brag to all your friends. Um, anyways, also, why don't you go ahead and check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. Just search for at BigFatSnareDrum and you will find it. This show is edited in part using Isotope RX-8 Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at Isotope.com. Bye.